Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 10 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, Rachel and I are going to be talking about counseling experiences and how to find a good counselor and when to know if you are having a bad counseling experience and you need to end it. And I just want to say that both Rachel and I have head colds and we are going to do this podcast anyway. Okay. So we both sound a little bit froggy, but I don't know. I think that my husband actually thinks my voice sounds kind of cute. So (laughs) Hey. hey. All right. Um, Okay. So first of all, we're going to share, I thought Rachel and I could just share our own experiences with counseling. And, um, and I think that, I think that our experiences combined would probably be a good, give people a good flavor of what it is like across the board in some ways. Do you want to start? Yeah. So I am so thankful to have a good counselor now that I trust. Um, I've been going to see her for over a year and um, definitely a good relationship there. And I plan to continue. But before I found her, I um, was emerging from this web of denial and really coming in to see the truth. And I realized, I don't care what my husband says, I'm going to go find a counselor. My husband had always, my ex-husband had always um, said that we didn't, we weren't going to go see a counseling. It was just not something that, that people in his family did. And so I had listened to that. And so I'd never, never gone to see counseling, even um, though I really thought it was probably something we needed to do. So I found a counselor. She was recommended to someone from, um, recommended to me from someone in my Bible, Bible study group. And so, um, I went in thinking this with this mindset of, I didn't, uh, basically all counselors are the same. They, if they're Christian, if they've got the credentials, it's going to be fine. And, um, unfortunately I had to learn the hard way that that's not true. And, um, I was still in this mindset that anyone who's in a position of authority and, and I viewed my a counselor in that way that they were automatically right. I just needed to do what they, what they said. Um, and I didn't have a good sense to advocate for myself. And so what I was seeing as I, as I started meeting with her was, um, a pronounced state of pride. So she was very, um, uh, quick to talk about her credentials. Um, if I like questioned her, I I had just read Leslie Vernick's book, uh, the emotionally destructive marriage. And so my mind was just blown. And so I asked her, you know, have you read that book? You know, what's, what's your thoughts on that? And she sort of poo-pooed it and was like, well, I've got these, you know, these other credentials. And, um, so I, you know, it'll be fine. And you just need to sort of do what I say was the message. Um, and then one day I, I remember calling her up because I had been doing a lot of research and I realized that there was a possibility that my husband was a narcissist. And I remember she didn't really take it that seriously. And she's like, well, my brother's a narcissist and he's a wonderful person and they can be wonderful people. And I was like, okay. And it just didn't feel like she was taking it very seriously. And, um, at one point my husband started to go to see her cause she, um, I guess talked to him. And so, uh, 
and so then she tried to started trying to convince me that I should do a joint session with him and her. And by that time I had, I had knew enough to know that that wasn't a good idea when someone, when there's an abusive power dynamic is really honestly, one of the worst things you can probably do. And so I mentioned that to her in my, my concerns and all that. And, um, but I was genuinely interested in what she thought about that. And she was like, no, if he starts manipulating me, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take that. And I'm gonna just say this, this, and this. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Thankfully I had another friend who sort of advised me that, you know, maybe this really isn't the best thing. And so I, I, that was one of the first situations where I stood up for myself and said, I'm going to advocate on my own behalf and um, step back from this relationship with her. So I ended up um, quitting that counselor and a couple of months later found the counselor I'm with now. And I'm so thankful for her. She's played a very um, instrumental role in helping me build trust with someone in a safe environment, you know, where there's honesty and um, without fear of judgment. Even though she's sort of a, my current counselor, she can seem a little bit stern, but she's very kind and compassionate. I think that those that you need to look for over time. Yes. You know, an interesting dynamic that you brought up is this thing where, and I felt like this too, where if I was with somebody who had credentials or who came across like they were an authority figure, I would immediately take the, the role of the child. Yes. And I felt like a child, even though in my head, I was thinking, uh, you know, I think I know more than this person about this particular thing, you know, whatever road we were going down. I still felt like there was so much cognitive dissonance. I I still felt like, well, I must not though. I must, there must be something I'm not seeing, or there must be something wrong with me that I would feel this way. Um, Mm -hmm. when she obviously knows, or he knows better than I do. And it wasn't until later on that I started expressing my own opinions, but then getting, (laughs) it's interesting because when you express, if you ever are ever in a counseling situation and you express something that you've learned or that you've gleaned from another, you know, maybe a book or a friend or someone, Mm -hmm. another counselor or something from the past and they squash it or they make you feel like, well, that's ridiculous or that doesn't really make any sense or like that's a huge red flag right there because they're not showing a really good counselor is going to empower the people that she's counseling or he's counseling and they're not going to squash that person. They're going to actually empower them. They're going to find the good and find the golden nuggets in what that person is saying and encourage that person that, yes, you know what, you're really getting this. And I, or even saying things like, you know, I never, I never knew that before. You know, if a counselor is saying, I never knew that before, thank you. Or what book was that again? And then the counselor writes down the name of the book, you know, like that's, that's a good direction. That means that the counselor is still sees herself or himself as a learner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that means that they're still learning. If a counselor is not still learning, that is a big, you do not want to go to a counselor who is not still learning because bottom line is no, nobody on the face of this planet. I don't care how well learned they are. In fact, the more, the smarter people are, the more wise, the wiser people are, the more they know that there's so much more to learn. Mm-hmm. It's really foolish people who think, well, I already have it all together. I, I know more than you. 
you know, those are the foolish people. You don't want to get counsel, pay money to get counseling yeah. from a foolish person. Yeah. What a waste <laughs> of money. You've had enough experience with those types of people in your life. Exactly. Exactly. Why would you pay money to get more of it? Well, yeah. and that brings up another point. So in my experience, I actually had several counseling experiences, but they were all, or at least all the initial ones were all either, you know, nuthetic counseling or Bible counseling or counseling from like an elder or a pastor or, um, I did go to professional counselors where I pay, actually paid money, but um, I, one counselor, he talked more than he let us talk, mm. and it was. I remember sitting there thinking. I actually started timing him. We went to this weekend <laughs> retreat thing, and it was it was like over twelve hours of the thirty some hours that we had that weekend. Um, it was, it was, it was a third of the time. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was a third of the time that we had, that we were paying for, and we were paying big bucks, like $300 an hour. It was absolutely insane. Um, he talked for most of that time. So, or for a third of that time, I I remember thinking, I, I didn't know anything about narcissism back then, but I did think this is not right. There's something wrong but he mm-hmm. seems to know what he's doing, but there just, there just was something, something very wrong. He, and there were a number of other really bizarre, weird things that he did with us that I won't go into. But um, that, when I remember and think back on that experience, I feel super creeped out inside. I mean, the whole time I had this really creepy, oppressive feeling. And, but back then, I didn't think that I could just walk out and leave. I thought, well, this, you know, I've paid this money. We got to go here. We have to believe what this guy says. I was invested with a bunch of my money. And so I felt like I had to make it work. And you were, that was with your husband at the time. <clears throat> yeah. Wasn't it? That, that was co-counseling with him. Yes. You were wanting to make it work. and Exactly. And then we tried together. We tried another male counselor who, um, at one point he leaned forward towards me, like leaned in towards me and said, if I was your, he said, you are a buzzsaw. If I was your husband, I would be running a million miles per hour in the opposite direction. Well, by that time I was coming up to the end of my rope and I actually, I burst into tears. My whole body was shaking like a leaf. I remember just, I couldn't even think straight. All I could, I I think I yelled some things. I don't even remember what I yelled. And I picked up all of my stuff and I walked out and I got in my van and I was driving home. It was raining and I had to fight this, the, I had to wrestle with the intense desire to drive my van off, you know, into the ditch (laughs) because I just thought I can't, I'm never going to get any help that there is. I'm going insane. I I literally thought I was going to go insane. I just had absolutely nobody validating. But again, he was a, you know, nuthetic counselor, a Bible counselor. And the question that he was asking um, my husband and I to answer, my husband at the time was, you know, what is your sin right now? We need to look at your sin right now in this moment. What is your sin? Right, Right. And I kept saying, I really don't, that's not the issue. Like I really, we came here and we're paying you money to talk about a serious problem. And 
that's not the issue. So yeah. let's talk about that whole thing. Cause the, the whole nuthetic counseling, it really, it, it, the, the main, actually I want to read a quote. This is from, <clears throat> where did I put my book? This is actually from my book, but the quote is not my quote. The quote is from, uh, pastoralcounseling.org. And these are their qualifications for a biblical counselor. Quite simply, anyone who wants to be a biblical counselor can consider themselves one. Oh, so like anybody, like you can be a brand new Christian and just go, you know what? I want to be a biblical counselor. I'm going to go biblically counsel people. Okay. Biblical counseling is based on the idea that all one needs is a deep understanding of the scripture to offer counseling. Now, what that deep understanding entails is up is anybody's guess, but sure. <clears throat> while it's true that many who consider themselves biblical counselors are ministers or other types of church leaders, this is not a requirement. Any person who feels as though they have been called to offer biblical counseling to another may do so. Because all biblical counseling is to be based on the Bible and the scriptures, there is no need for any courses on behavioral study, counseling, therapy, or psychology. And because of this, few biblical counselors hold degrees in counseling. Bing, 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 bing. All the red warning lights should be going off in in your heads right now. In fact, the practice of biblical counseling is expressly against bringing these secular studies and treatments into the discussion. All counseling should focus on identifying sin, changing behavior to overcome that sin, and making one's life more in line with what the Bible outlines. And I'd like to add what the Bible outlines would be according to what they say the Bible outlines, okay? Um, so in other words, doctors have to go to medical school, but to work on your physical health, but mental, but, but all you need for your mental health is someone who claims to have a working knowledge of the Bible, who, who claims to have all the correct interpretations of the word of God. And they can tell you what, and they can do surgery on your psychological well-being, And you're supposed to submit to that and do whatever they say and think that that's okay. And the other thing that I want to say, I could just go on and on and on. I can get on a roll with this. The other thing I'd like to say is that when you are going, when, when the systemic problem that you're dealing with is in-house and you're going in-house to get a solution to the problem, are you going to find the solution in-house if the problem is in-house? Of course not. The problem is this theology, the reason why women are being abused is because of a theology that teaches that women should not, ha- that women don't have the same rights, that they don't have the same power. They don't have the, there's a power inequality. And that's, anytime you see a power inequality, you see abuse of that every mm-hmm. single time, all the way across the board. Mm-hmm. So I'm not in individual situations, okay? I'm not saying that every marriage is, uh, you know, that has a power inequality is abusive. What I'm saying is that that is where you see abuse. You see abusive inequality. You don't ever see abuse where you have two equals and two peers 
who respect one another, that, that you don't see abuse there. You only see abuse when one is in a power over position. Mm -hmm. So why would you go to somebody who firmly believes in that, who firmly believes that that is like a godly thing and say, help me, please. I'm being abused. Of course, that person is going to say, well, now, you know, this is your job. This is what you were created for. In yeah. fact, you are, because we focus on sin, you know, because that's what Christians do, right? We're supposed to focus on sin, even though the gospel says not to, but that's what we do. <laughs> so because we're going to focus on sin, let's start with yours. Let's start with your sin. Let's beat you down as a woman, even more than you already are. And let's, let's take everything that your husband did to beat you down over your sin because he projected all of his sin on you. So we're going to take all of his sin and put it on you and beat you down for that. And then we're going to beat you down for your own sin. And pretty soon you're not going to be able to lift up your head anymore. And hey, that's exactly where we want you. Okay, I'm going to stop talking now. Rachel? <laughs> I, well, you know what it tells me though, is this kind of mindset, it's a very fear-based mindset. It is not walking in the law of love. It's not evidence of walking in the law of love, which is the entire point of the Bible, God's right. of, of reconciling humans to himself through his love. It is missing the point. And it, it's, it's so unfortunate because that's exactly what the devil wants for us. He wants us slaves to fear, slaves to bond, um, um, thinking of ourselves as the miserable wretch never find victory in Christ because it's not actually true victory because you've got to keep thinking about all the sin that you're in and, and never actually step in um, what he did for you on the cross exactly. and then live in that, live as if that's the reality, which is what faith, faith is. Yes. And um, it's really, really sad. And, and I hate the fact that there's people out there who are spreading that. And they, they honestly, I don't think it's that they, it's just ignorance. Yeah. It is, it is. It's ignorance. And it's, a and it's pride because the education is out there and uh, the information is out there. In fact, there you are. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I lost you or if you lost me. I have no idea. Me. Well, that's so funny. Okay. Well, I have no idea what you said. I okay. have no idea what you just said. So I was making a point about the fact that this, the sort of attitude that you described with these people that's so prevalent in the church and um, the description of a biblical counselor as far as not needing any qualifications and just feeling as though someone, you know, that they've got a deep understanding of what the Bible says, it's really naive. And yes. um, it's also, so that, that whole attitude though, where let's focus on your sin, um, that's, the counseling is just focus on sin and overcome it. And I noticed that it didn't say anything about how, how the Holy Spirit or Jesus's love helps us overcome it. It's you better get in line mm -hmm. and, and, and walk this uh, line of, of law keeping, right? Yep. <laughs> so it totally um, is outside of, of the entire story of the Bible and God reconciling humanity to himself through his love, which is the opposite of fear. And um, I think it's, it's unfortunate because this is exactly where the devil wants is he wants his God's, you know, people who would consider themselves people to live in fear and to live in bondage and to keep, um, not live in the reality of what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection, which is what faith is. 
And what we're called to do is to live as in belief of that and to live in freedom. That's what we're called to instead of living in bondage and living in fear. So, right. Right. One of the other things I was going to say is um, that I've heard, I don't know where I heard the statistic and maybe someone out there knows and can put it on Facebook, but I've heard that, um, one of the fields, one of the big, one of the top fields that narcissists go into is pastoral, uh, you know, religious leadership fields. And I don't know if counseling was on there or not, but I, I think that this would be a field that you would see a lot of, um, character disordered people go into because they have such a need to be, um, to be that, I'm sorry, my internet, I'm seeing announcements that my internet is going to be going out soon or that it's unstable. Um, oh, no. So I'm a little bit nervous, but <clears throat> that they, they have a need to be needed and right. they have a need to be, um, be the one with the answers. Be the one with authority. Yes. And mm-hmm. so, and people like that can be very, they can end up actually re-abusing real victims who are dealing with the, what you really, what you really want to look for it. Let's just go in. Let's segue into that. What do we, what do we want to look for? Like, what do we want to look for? And what do we want to avoid in a counselor? Yeah. Because, um, go ahead. Well, at the outset, I, I think going back to what I was saying when I first approached this, this counselor person, you know, I had this view that anyone with the credentials was, was fit to, to do what I needed them to do. And I think um, instead of having that mindset, I think it's so important to look at people as individuals and see, watch what they do and how they, how they interact with you instead of just assuming that since they've got the credentials, they went to school. This goes for anything, counseling or being a pastor or anything. Just look at what they do. Look at who they are as individuals. Don't just assume that they, they are a good person because of what position they're in. That is so good. So when did you, you know, I mean, when you were describing your experience, what would you, out of your experience, what would you say are some red flags to look for? And when do you think that people should cut loose? And how? I, I, re, I remember someone asked a question on Facebook. How do I end this thing with my counselor? I know I don't want to see her anymore, but I don't know how to end it. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest red flag to look for in a counselor or in anyone is a lack of humility, a lack of evidence of pride. And that can come across in many different ways, but it's one of the main ways I think is what you were referencing earlier. Someone who's not willing to learn, um, someone who's not, who thinks they've got it all together, who is about spouting off, you know, all the things that they've done or all the ways that they, um, they know how to, how to do things or, um, different credentials that they may have. Um, look for, for, for a soft heart, look for someone who's going to come alongside you instead of, um, point fingers or wag, wag fingers. Someone who is, is perhaps you could say just not judgmental. Um, someone who understands that in this experience of being a human being, it's messy and you are not a perfect person and you shouldn't expect be expected to be a perfect person, right. someone who's going to be understanding and empathetic to the struggles that you face and not start spouting off all the things that you need to start doing 
and, and you better shape up. Right. Right. There, there is kind of an attitude that, um, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to claim to be a victim of abuse, then you have to be pristine and, yeah. and pure. There has to be absolutely no, no sin found in you. And unfortunately, victims are also humans. I love yes. that song by, uh, is it Christina Perry, Only Human? <clears throat> um, I, think, I think it's Christina Perry. Anyway, if you've never heard that song, it's, it's awesome. Um, I think that, um, yes. I mean, I was look, I'm, I'm going to just look at my notes here. I think if you, you need to look for a counselor that, number one, validates your experience Yes. And asks and really good questions mm-hmm. and, and then is desirous of learning from you about your specific situation rather than assuming, you know, rather than pigeonholing you into a category that, um, which is a lot of times what you get with the Bible counseling. They've got, they group you into a generalized category and a lot of times it's very stereotyped especially if you've, if you're, um, because they've got very patriarchal views. So they have very stereotype views about women in general. And if they group you into those kinds of, um, uh, groups, (laughs) that's really profound. If they group you into those kinds of groups, then they're going to, everything that you say, they're going to filter through the grid, through their own grid of what they know about what they believe about those groups. And they're not going to actually hear what you are saying about your specific situation. Because the thing is, is everybody, like you were saying, counselors are individuals, but so are counselees. We're individuals too. We have our own set of circumstances that's very, very different from anybody else's. I mean, yes, there are general patterns that are the same. But, um, but we are an individual and we have a different husband than, than the last person that was just in, sitting in their chair, you know, sitting in the chair. Right. And we have a different personality than the last person. And we have a different uh, set of circumstances financially and on and on and on. And so they need to be respectful of that. I remember um, <clears throat> one counselor, you know, she, she told me that she was, not happy with the way I handled a situation. And then when I explained why I handled it that way, she didn't, she didn't really have any response for that because she wasn't really willing to listen to the backstory of, you know, she wasn't really willing to look at the layers and layers of history that were involved in what brought about that particular incident. She just wanted to look at that isolated incident all by itself and on the surface, of course, it looked one way, but if you looked at it in context, it was a completely different thing. But she was unwilling. She already had all the answers. She already yeah. knew everything. She mm-hmm. didn't want to dig deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all about, you know, she just kept bringing me back. to. Well, at one point she said, I'm really getting tired of hearing the same thing over and over from you. That was actually my point where I said, I think, well, I didn't say this to her face. So let's go here. This gets back to the question. How do you break it off with a counselor? Okay. Yeah. How I broke it off with her is, um, cause she actually went to my church and she was getting 
she was getting training in newsetic counseling. And um, she, I wrote her a very, very nice letter. Uh, and I, back then I was really gushy with people cause I wanted them to like me and accept me. Cause I wanted, I thought if they don't like me, then they won't help me. And I was so nice. desperate for help back then. I believed that my, that my mommies and daddies had to help me. I yes. couldn't help myself. I had to do whatever they told me to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now I would say, you know, now if I could go back and do it, knowing what I know now, I would never, ever ask any of their opinions about what I should do. I would just do what I know I should do as an adult woman. I need to do this. And if you don't like that, then I guess that's your problem. But I I have to live my life and answer to God for my life. And you have to live your life and answer to God for your life. But, But back then, so what I did is I wrote a very gushy letter praising her and telling her what a great woman she was and blah, 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 blah. And then just said that I couldn't, I was going to move on. And I think I gave some reason why I was going to move on, you know, so that she wouldn't feel like I was blaming her. She never responded. (laughs) She never responded to that, uh, that email. So, which again, was just more evidence that she was, um, not a healthy individual herself, let alone a healthy person to be able to, you know, have the reserves to be able to help another human being. So anyway, that was a learning experience, but I did have some good experiences with counseling. Mm -hmm. And, um, one was with a Christian counselor who I didn't counsel personally with, but my kids went to her and she was a Christian, but she was also, she was a, um, I have to look up the labels because I don't remember what they are. There's so many of them. She was a licensed marriage and family therapist. So that's an LMFT. And she was very, very good. um, So she brought in the Bible. She wove the Bible in, but she used the Bible as a tool of like a healing balm on a, you know, on a burn victim. Okay. That was how she used the Bible. Whereas I'd found that the Nuthetic counselors had used it more like a weapon, a weapon beat yeah. me over the head with it. Right. Um, and then the other really good counselor that I, that I actually had was, she was also a Christian, but she was also a licensed counselor. Mm-hmm. And she, was, she also had extra training in EMDR therapy. So we did mm-hmm. that. And yeah. that was also just extremely helpful. So there's lots of things, you know, the Bible is, is important. It's the word of God. And we need to weave the Bible in everything that we do. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that the Bible, the Bible doesn't explain how to do brain surgery. It doesn't explain um, what's happening in our world today as far as the political, you know, the Bible is one book, okay? It's not the Holy Spirit. Now he is living inside of us as believers and he lives and moves and has his being inside of us and gives right. us wisdom. But the word of God is a, is a book that is the word of God, but it has limitations in that it's only one book. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? And it cannot cover the universe the entire universe of knowledge and information. It doesn't teach us how to build airplanes. It doesn't teach us everything that we need to know about mental health. Mm-hmm. It doesn't talk about Asperger's and, or autism or, you know, it, it, it doesn't address those things. Mm-hmm. And so we learn by 
being intelligent human beings who study science and who study, you know, the science of psychology. And we bring all of that to bear on that as Christians, we bring all of the Bible to bear on all of these things. I wanted to um, just add on to what you're saying. I think there is a tendency in some um, aspects of Christianity, some sects to, uh, to worship the Bible as if the Bible were God. But the Bible tells us about God. The Bible tells us the story of, of God and, and we've, how, like I said earlier, how he reconciled humanity to himself through his love. And I think we have to keep that in perspective. The Bible is not God and we should read it and we should study it and we should get to know God through that way. But it is, it is not um, the full, um, I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I, I just, I want to make sure that we, we put it in the right in its right place. I just wanted to close by saying, giving a few things to look for. If your counselor is, is telling you what to do, is trying to manipulate you, is using the Bible as a weapon, um, is judging you or threatening you in any way, um, you should, is using things like, well, you should do this. You must do this. Run. You know, yeah. you, and by the way, you don't have to write a nice letter and, and gush about them and cut it nope. off that way. They are professionals or they're supposed to be. Uh, I guess I would definitely not recommend going to a Bible counselor for this kind of thing. You, you can go to a Bible counselor if you need help understanding the Bible maybe, but, um, yeah. um, but you can just, you just, what you do is you stop going, you stop making appointments. If you made an appointment and you want to cancel it, you just call up and you cancel it because you're an adult and you can, people cancel appointments all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you, and then you're done and then you can go try to find someone who's, who's a, a better fit for you. And, and whenever you do go and visit with a counselor, the very first meeting, you can just let them know right from the get go that, you know, you're just, you are, you may or may not be back. You just want to get a feel for what, and ask them questions. Right. You know? They're working for you. Exactly. Exactly. That is exactly right. So you have, it's every, it's, it's your responsibility to ask them questions to find out where they're going to come from, mm-hmm. what they know, what their training is, how they would approach certain situations. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also sometimes personalities just don't click. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, if your personality just, if something rubs you the wrong way, you know, their mannerisms bug you or something, don't Mm -hmm. go back. Or if you feel like they're irritated with you, definitely don't go back. Because if you feel like they're irritated. And that is where the recording somehow cut off. I'm not really sure what happened there, but um, that's where it ends. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And until next time. Fly free.